0: Welcome back, everybody. Here we go on a Wednesday. Happy Hump Day, everyone. Gorgeous weather outside. Nice day today. I like these chilly mornings, and by the afternoon, they're up to like 60. That's that's my kind of day. My kind of day.
1: It's beautiful weather in El Paso. I would I would say that there are some mornings where it's just like bitter cold. Like I'm walking yep. outside at like seven a.m. or six forty five a.m. and it's just super cold. And you're and you're waiting for it to be a little bit warmer. But by the time it's like 9, 10 in the morning, it's perfect weather here in El Paso all the way till about six o'clock seven o'clock at night. And even then, you could still go outside with a nice jacket.
0: You know the uh, I think the high was only fifty today. It felt like sixty, but fifty because it's sunny. When the sun's out, it feels nice. Like tomorrow, forty seven and sunny. Friday, fifty-one. I'm okay with that, and then it's gonna hit the 60s, and then by next middle of next week, back to the 40s. So you know, listen, enjoy this weather because here's what's gonna happen in about three or four months: we're gonna be in the hundreds every day, hot as hell, and you're gonna feel like, oh my god, when's it gonna start cooling off? So it, it, this is this this is usually my type of weather. This is my favorite time of year because you know it's it, it's not too cold, it's nice. It's comfortable, and I know what's coming. So I'm all about, you know, enjoying the the chilly mornings and and the nice cool uh, cool afternoons because I know exactly uh, what we're going to get starting uh, in about six to eight weeks when the when all of a sudden the temps start shooting up into the 80s and 90s, and before you know it, it's triple digits, and ah, it's it's the typical El Paso heat.
1: You and I are very similar when it comes to our preference of weather. But you know it's funny, Steve, What's that? I was seeing on social media today, a couple of people post, I'm tired of this cold I oh want my the heat! I'm not kidding. God. I saw this on my feed today on Twitter, on Instagram. People on their Instagram stories with their uh, pullover. Look, I got I got a quarter zip on today, but I'm I feel comfortable. I've got it. I got sleeves rolled up. I got a polo underneath this. I like outdoor weather. I like uh, outdoor weather clothing, oh. especially, and like I like the winter stuff that you get to wear. I don't understand why people complain when we have months and months of that, uh, you know, brutal
0: heat. I'm wearing my 25 year old Nike blue. Um, like uh, it's a really cool golf. Um um you know just a jacket it's just it's just a windbreaker basically but it's really comfortable and but there was missing a zipper like my zipper the, the top of the zipper broke off for years so it it has the zipper and the snaps but all I could do is snap in and not the zipper so uh went today just happened to go to uh um a tailor and in 10 minutes he found some old uh, beat up top zipper replacement he was using his pliers pliers Put it together, charge me five bucks, and now my jacket's wow. back on track.
1: That is excellent. That's good stuff. And those feel are the good, types It's a
0: feel good Wednesday, Adrian. It's that, a
1: feel good Wednesday, <laughs> and and a cost effective one to yes. Steve. I, first off, I love the fact that you're preserving these because now th- these are like the you, you don't buy new Nike stuff. Like no one buys new Nike stuff. It's all about just like worn Nike stuff. You don't buy well, the the flashy stuff, the neon stuff. That's all that's being sold by Nike nowadays.
0: This has sentimental value. Because I had one and my dad had one. And it was the exact same jacket. We both had the same. I don't know what happened to his. But, yeah, we both had the same one. It was really cool. And this goes back because my dad's been gone now almost 19 years. And uh, But that was the jacket that we both wore. So um, part of the reason I'm keeping it is it's a good-looking jacket. It's it's held up over the test of time, but it's got memories and uh, reminds me of him. So now that I got the uh, zipper going again, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty jacked up here on this Wednesday, feeling good. Um, I was lazy because it took me forever just to get this stupid thing repaired, which took five minutes, but, you know. Got it done, and now uh, now I'm in good shape. Ready to roll today.
1: Yeah, I'm ready to roll as well, Steve. I'm ready to go, and uh, we're already getting texts. People excited about the heat. Charlie One, our friend, is ready for the heat to come back.
0: Stop it, Charlie. Stop it. You can take your people 80s. People are
1: cold. They don't like the cold. There are a lot of people who, that's the reason they're here in El Paso. They are not fans of any sort of cold weather.
0: Man, all I know is this. From, like, November to usually February, that's when I start wearing the long sleeve uh, dress shirts every day to work. And I don't feel like I'm going to have to sweat to death wearing them over the course of the afternoon. I like the fact that they're comfortable. It feels good right now. And then once the sun, sun really starts to come out and, they, and the temps jump up. Then I go back into the short sleeve uh, polos and start wearing those pretty much uh, the entire summer.
1: I am a athleisure person outside of work where mm-hmm. I'm wearing uh lo- like the Lulu leggings all the time. And I've just got a quarter zip. Like that's me or hoodie. I love that kind of weather. And you can only do it during this time. And once uh once you kind of go to March, you can't wear that anymore. You got to go the shorts route.
0: What is Lulu leggings? What is that?
1: Uh, just like, like sweatpants. Oh, okay. You know, that kind of thing. All right. So it's not like you
0: shop at Lululemon. Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Yeah, I it's love Lululemon. It's expensive place, man. It's not uh... quality stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. It's you buy oh, it's one that for women.
1: No, man. They've got a great men's section. Do they Excellent really? Excellent man. You know who's a prime uh uh Lulu guy? It's Cody Decker. Is he really? <laughs> yeah, he, he's got his Lulu stuff. Every time he comes in, I'm like, "Hey, nice Lulu shirt." You know, nice uh, Lululemon shirt. Oh, shorts. so he gets so he likes Lululemon. A lot. He's he's All right. always decked in uh
2: Lulu.
0: Spoke to Cody today. He's in New York, doing great. He's uh, still, you know, he's, he's got that show on mornings uh, on FS1 with Craig Carton that he's, uh, you know, part of, that, uh, part of that team. Just signed a six-month extension, so he's excited about that. Living in New York City, doing great. Doing absolutely great,
1: man. We've got uh, so many TV friends, and I'm happy that Cody Decker is now in the mix. I love like turning on the TV and seeing his face sometimes, yeah. like from time to time. we well, on every
0: morning, like as long as you're right. up between five and <laughs> seven thirty in El Paso, and you turn on Fox Sports One, there he is. And then it's got just him. early.
1: They also have him on like the U- like the YouTube clips, and also like the Twitter clips. So if you follow their yep. shows page, yep. you'll see his clips from time to time and hear his hot takes and stuff. Uh, hey, speaking of TV, how about our friend? tim haggerty making a tv appearance today to promote his book
0: i think that's great by the way that his book is coming out and uh he's you know he's he's making the rounds now Hags is uh you know this is exciting it's his first book he told us about this during story time at yes. the end of last season
1: we were the we were like the first ones to you know go off on this and talk about it with him and the fact that now he's making the national rounds this is like this is really exciting uh for tim haggerty in this book
0: it is tales from the dugout, a thousand and one humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. And the fact that he joined Hot Stove today with Matt Vasgersian and Bill Ripken is so cool. So that is yes. that is just that's neat. That's good for uh, good for hags, man. Good for hags. I'm excited for him, and that's you know that's what it's all about. And getting a chance to talk about um, what he just put together. And by the way. Uh, Jay Jaffe, who also made the rounds on uh, MLB Network, is going to join us as well, and we're going to talk about Scott Rowland um, and and what's coming up. And I'm also interested, since uh, you know Rowland is uh, is going into the Hall, um, if this is going to start being a trend now for more and more defensive, era, you know, minded ball players getting in, great defenders who were you know. Good offensive players. Not amazing offensive players, but good offensive players getting in. And here's the thing about Scott Rowland, okay? He was always um good teammate, good guy, never gave anybody a hard time, always good to the media. You know, that's, that's just what it's about. And by the way, I would never, ever guess that Scott Rowland's wins above replacement for a 17-year career – is ninth-highest all-time by a third baseman. Wow. Never. Not in a million years.
1: Wow, that's a an interesting stat right there. I just still think that now that we got to, uh, you know— Sit on this story for 24 hours, and we see all the the stories that are come out, that have come out from it. Uh, first off, the teams and their fans were very celebratory to- towards Scott Rollin, understandably so. But everybody else kept asking why? How did they vote him in? He wasn't necessarily like the greatest in that generation at all. Uh, he was a very good player during that time, and uh, it's interesting that he gets in even over Andrew Jones, who by a lot of people they would consider Andrew Jones one of the top players of that
0: generation. I think the problem with Andrew Jones is, though, that his his numbers started tailing off around, um, you know, really around the time he was hitting 30. Like, certain guys started really good when they were young. But then their numbers started to uh, their numbers started to tail off a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I understand that. I feel like it's just when you think of the peaks, like his highest peak for Andrew Jones was just kind of really it stood out to you more than maybe the peaks that you saw from Scott Rowland, unless you started to dig into his defensive metrics.
0: I just feel like um, the Hall of Fame. And maybe I am wrong here. I got to ask Jay Jaffe this question when he joins us next. But I kind of feel like the Hall of Fame was always about offense. That was it. Offense was the Hall of Fame. You were a great off. I just never felt like great defensive players, if they had just ordinary offensive careers, ever had a chance at making Cooperstown. And now I feel more than ever, because of the way we look at the game through the eyes of, of analytics and sabermetrics, that now if you are a great defensive player, your profile is infinitely more um, um, important now than it was back uh, when we were growing up as kids, because let's be honest, when I was when I was a kid, I always enjoyed Topps baseball cards. That's what I want. I, I collected tops. and one of the things I loved about tops was when I looked at the back of a baseball card. The great ones always had their um, league leading stats in bold print, so you always knew who was the best based on the bold type in their baseball cards. And nowadays, it seems like, I don't want to say that stat is meaningless, but there is so much more to a player's game than the bold type on their cards.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and now uh, you're having to go through so many stats that were never taken at the time, which is so interesting now how we dive into these analytics, how we interpret different stats, and it's so, like, can you imagine telling these advanced stats to Scott Rowland during that time, like, man, you are just on another level right now what you're doing? He probably would have overvalued himself at that point.
0: That's true. That is true. Um, apparently when Scott Rowland was, was like notified yesterday, he got into the hall of fame. He was more interested in showing his kids hole in one. Did you hear that story on video? I didn't
1: know this. Yeah. Oh, that's wait. One of his kids hit a hole in one. I think so. Or,
0: or had some big golf day and he was more like, he was happier showing the video of his kid playing golf than he was of himself getting into the hall.
1: Oh man. Come on, man. So I
0: don't even know if Scott Rowland even cares about being in Cooperstown. This is one of the biggest
1: uh, hall of fames, if not the biggest in all of sports.
0: It is. And you wonder, maybe Scott Rowland never considered himself a Hall of Famer. Maybe it was that way, and he just was didn't believe it. Who knows? Who knows? And maybe he thinks his colleagues deserve it over him. Could be too. So we'll talk to Jay about it. Looking forward to having Jay Jaffe on the program when he weighs in here. Uh, coming up next uh, on uh, Scott Rowland and everything that is uh, the Cooperstown uh, experiment the hall of fame all right more in a moment getting going here on this wednesday edition of the show uh babe is going to join us in the six o'clock hour i'm excited about that and who knows maybe more special guests dropping by as well is that right adrian
1: that's right quinton demps is confirmed five o'clock we'll have him 45 minutes away a
0: brand new head coach at
1: judson university that's
0: right not to be confused with converse judson
1: that's right. We are, we've uh, talked to nonprofit Q, and mm. now we got Coach Q. That hey, by we get the way, a chance to talk to.
0: Didn't Q grow up in Texas? Yes, San Antonio. So I can't wait to, to throw the Converse Judson at him and see if he gets a good laugh, considering that's what some of our people thought because yeah. they saw Judson. Um, I love that.
1: that I, me too. I'm, I'm excited.
0: Let's go to Charlie One. I know he wants the heat, but he's going to have to wait a while because he's not getting it for at least a, a, a few more months. Here he is, Charlie in traffic. Back here on Sports Talk, excited about having this man today. It's always great having Jay on to talk baseball, but when it's Hall of Fame week, it gets even better. And considering the amount of controversy surrounding the Scott Rowland induction into Cooperstown... Uh, and knowing exactly where Jay sits on this matter, it should be a terrific conversation. Welcome back to the show. And uh, I, I know you, uh, like a lot of folks, very happy Scott Rowland, uh, part of the class of 2023 in Cooperstown.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it was a relief that he got in. Uh, this is somebody I've been, you know, stumping for since he hit the ballot in, in uh, the, the 2018 ballot. Uh, a player who I, I really enjoyed watching in his day um with the Phillies, the Cardinals, uh and the Reds uh and somebody who my jaw system identifies as the the 10th best third baseman of all time despite a comparatively uh injury shortened career uh just spectacular defense uh and and excellent offense as well and uh, uh I you know going up at, to the point where uh Hall president Josh Rawich uh, opened the envelope. We really didn't know if this was going to be his year or not, and it was. And, and uh, I just I, I let out a yell so loud, I think I killed a house plant.
0: Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> as long as you didn't kill anybody in the family, you're okay besides the plant. um, So I always thought of Scott Rowland as a, a terrific defensive player and above-average offensive player. Is that a fair assessment when you really look at, at his skill set on both sides?
3: Yeah, I think a little bit better than above-average. I mean, he's you know, he's – a, he's a, you know, the third best, in terms of defensive metrics, he's the third best all time at third base. And he's, depending on whether you're leaning on rate stats or counting stats, he's somewhere between the top 10 and top 20 uh, third baseman of all time. Um, You know, I'd say maybe top 12, top 15 is probably probably an accurate assessment. What people forget is how hard it is to combine those two into one package. Um, True, true. And that's, and that's really the you know the 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 selling point for Scott Rowland is is that he was uh um uh that 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 he was that he was both a floor wax and a dessert topping as uh... as the the old uh, uh, Saturday Night Live sketch goes.
0: So some of the people that um, are against this have noted um, he never led the league in any category during the course of his career and some will say he was never even the best third baseman in the National League uh, during his time because when he got into the All-Star game he was usually a reserve, not starting over guys like Aramis Ramirez or at times David Wright. So give me your thoughts on that when people will tell you that if he's a Hall of Famer, how come you know he wasn't an all-star starter and wasn't leading the league in certain offensive categories.
4: Well, Scott Rowland was a
3: guy who wasn't as flashy as 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 uh uh as some of the players at the position. I mean, Chipper Jones is you know is is an, is a is a Hall of Famer. Chipper Jones was a better hitter, you know, a cornerstone of 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 the Braves uh uh dynasty there. And I don't think but you know, being the single best player at your position is not a requirement for the Hall of Fame. True. Um you know being the the perennial starter at your position is not a requirement for the hall of fame. There's competition there. But man, I mean in terms of careers, Scott Rowland left uh Aramis Ramirez and David Wright in the dust. You know, David Wright probably was on a hall of fame track before the injuries uh you know took him down, but um you know, you go back and look again, look at the look at the two-way combination. I mean, Aramis Ramirez had an iron glove. Um you know, and and was not, you know, was not even as as good a hitter. Had good power, uh, did not have the on base skills of, of, of a Scott Rowland. So, um, you know, I think I think people are, are kind of misguided there, and they underestimate the value of that defense. And again, you know, it takes some faith to to study the the you know some time to study the defensive metrics and some faith that they're getting it right. But when you've got Brooks Robinson and Adrian Beltre, number one and two mm-hmm. uh, among among uh third baseman and Scott Rowland is third and until Nolan Arenado passed him, Scott Rowland was third and gold gloves won. I think we're probably getting it pretty close to right there. So, so
0: Yep. Yep.
3: You know, I, I, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm pretty satisfied that this is a guy who was who you know who was uh elite. Um you know, he came to Saint Louis, he helped them win uh a pennant and a World Series in a in a three year span, start in that in the two thousand six World Series. Um outvalued albert pools in 2004 uh in in terms of war uh st louis fans know how good he was um that's for sure
0: all right so this begs the question because right now jay let's be honest Everybody is looking at ball players' values for the Hall of Fame differently than they have in the past. And there might be some that are still old school, but they're in the minority. The majority of the people that are weighing the value of ball players are, are looking at their values completely different compared to the way it was historically. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing because otherwise Scott Rowland wouldn't have had a chance of getting in. My question is this. How many other Scott Rollins are there out there when I say they were great defensive players, above average offensive players, over the course of baseball history, but they were often overlooked because their defensive value was not brought into the equation the way it is today? And how many guys like that are still potential Cooperstown bound that we would have never given any real thought to uh, historically over the years?
3: Yeah, you know, there's a handful of them. I mean, uh, Bobby Grich going back, Chase Utley who hits the ballot next year. Uh, the, the, those are two guys. I mean, you know, Chase Utley watched um, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard uh, win MVP awards in back-to-back years for those Phillies, and he was a more valuable player in both of them because of uh, his defensive skill and and uh, on-base skills. Um, <laughs> just just to use, just to use an example. Um, you know, the guys slip through the cracks. Um, we've you know we've had some success here the last few, the last several years getting some of these guys into the Hall of Fame, bolstered by War and Jaws, uh, Alan Trammell being a good one. Um, you know, it's it's uh, we're, we're getting we're getting better at this, but there's still there's still
0: some out there. Um, let me bring up a name. Let me bring up. Let me bring up Keith Hernandez because yeah, we've Keith talked.
3: Is, a good, is Keith Hernandez is a good example? I mean, Keith Hernandez comes in a little bit lower. I mean, outstanding fielder did not have the offensive profile of a of a, of a, of a first baseman. Um, you know, a, a little bit light, a little bit light offensively. Hurt in counting stats by the fact that his career petered out due to back injuries at age thirty six. I think you know. I think Keith Hernandez would be a decent addition to the Hall of Fame. He's a little bit below the jaws standard, but he revolutionized the position defensively um He has not ever been on uh a an error committee ballot. He was only got about i think maxed out at about thirteen to fifteen percent on the writers' ballots and and you know kind of tailed off there um did not get a lot of support there and i think that that hurts him. I also suspect that the you know the the revelation that you know that he was uh uh, involved in the cocaine usage uh, of the 1980s does not help him. Um, although you know Tim Raines overcame that, it's not it's not insurmountable. People love a good comeback story. I, I suspect there might be back backroom politics stuff that prevents him from getting on the ballot too. That's opaque stuff that unfortunately I can't I can't penetrate. Um, I'm all for putting him on the ballot uh, uh, and seeing uh, if he can get traction.
0: I've always thought of Keith as one of the best uh, first basemen defensively uh, at his position, and you think about all this, batting titles – Uh, World Series, gold gloves, MVPs, uh, less strikeouts uh, than Roland over the years, and a better OPS+. plus. I mean, so you're right. And you say he was a light-hitting first baseman, but he was a corner infielder. And some might even make the argument that Scott Rowland was a light-hitting third baseman compared to some of his contemporaries.
3: No, Scott Rowland was not light-hitting third baseman. A 122 career OPS plus, That's not not light-hitting unless you're... Unless you're comparing him to Chipper Jones, was the okay. old-timer. Uh,
0: Bill Madlock, yeah. give me your thoughts on him. Four batting titles, struck out 900 times less than Scott Rowland.
3: Yeah, Bill Madlock's defensive value is, is, is negative, unfortunately. Um, you know, he had the batting titles, did not have great power. Um, kind of a pain in the ass to his managers, which, which resulted in him, in him bouncing around for a while. Um. Now you, just you know, said something think-
0: now, you just said something really interesting, okay? you He you was a pain in the ass. And the truth is, let's be honest, when it comes to the Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, if you're not a pain in the ass, you're going to be viewed by the writers differently than if you are one. And it's, it's historically always been like that. And, like, I've heard Scott Rowland was a terrific guy. Great to the media, good to the fans, just a good teammate, good person, just a good human being. And the truth is, is that if you've got good numbers and you're that kind of person— your your value on the voting ballot is even better than you normally would be right
3: yeah you know i think it, i think that's overstated i think okay, here's the thing what writers don't need writers don't need to have to be exchanging christmas cards with with uh uh the players they cover all they want is a guy who stands at his locker through thick and thin and answers their questions and helps them helps them make their deadlines mm-hmm. um uh, jeff kent's a good example here prickly personality certainly not everybody's best friend but you know, I don't think that there are writer, many writers who are holding the fact that he was, um, you know, so gruff against him because he was a guy who, you know, was accountable. He was there in his locker and would answer would answer your questions and, and uh, you know, wouldn't make your job harder. Um, you know, and I think that that's that the writers remember that stuff and and. You know, when you see writers tossing a token vote to 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 a guy who has no real chance of getting in the Hall of Fame, those are acknowledgments of, like, hey, this guy was, you know, a stand-up guy who really did help, and I really admired the way he went about his work, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, character counts. But we but You know, outside, we only know so much. That's true. I mean, you know, it's, we find out bad things about these guys. I mean, Omar Vizquel was supposed to be such a great character, and, you know, here he is. His, his electoral chances are... are uh, um, have been torpedoed by domestic violence and sexual harassment al- allegations yep. that uh, um, you know have probably sent his candidacy in a,
0: into a no man's land. It's a good point. Hey, when we come back, we'll talk Todd Helton and Billy Wagner with you, all right? Because I want to talk sure. about some of them as well. Uh, more with Jay as sports talk continues. First, let's go right now to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour sports center update. Adrian, thank you very much. Uh, we're back right now with uh, Jay Jaffe here on Sports Talk. Todd Helton more than likely will get in next year. He was on 72% of the ballots and did very well for himself this year. Guy that also played 17 years, all with Colorado, um, and had some big years. Uh, There's no doubt. In 2000, as a 26-year-old, 447 runs batted in, batted three seventy-two. Fifth in the MVP voting that year was huge. But um someone that, you know, I guess they'll take the, the core's bias and use it against him. But let's be honest. Uh, great defensive first baseman, good op- really good offensive profile, and somebody that, you know, most likely will see himself at Cooperstown next year.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh it's it's a remarkable uh another remarkable turnaround from a from a, a slow starting candidacy. He got just sixteen and a half percent uh, in his first year on the ballot. And he heads into now his year six. He's about 10 points closer to election, uh, or nine points closer to election than Scott Rowland was, uh, coming into this year. So he's, uh, basically a gimme putt away. Um, and, you know, and I think, <clears throat> you know, one thing people miss about Todd Helton, uh, is that, um, you know, in addition to being a great hitter, um, even once we adjust for his numbers, uh, in Coors Field, and it's, you know, it's not as simple uh, as just saying that. Uh, oh, is You know, we can look at his road stats and estimate uh, how good a hitter he really was because we've seen guys like DJ LeMahieu and Nolan Arenado and Matt Holliday uh, far outstripped their road stats once they moved on to other teams. There's a, there's an effect that, that comes with uh, moving from altitude to sea level that uh, you know makes it harder uh, to adapt but uh beyond that Scott I I mean uh, Todd Helton was a great defender he was uh uh something like 76 runs above average at first base yep. i mean one of the, one of the best all time at that um you know and and uh, uh he's on his way and i'm 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 thrilled for him i'm thrilled for uh, you know i'm thrilled that it's going to be another uh uh victory for Jaws and victory for advanced stats uh once he does get in and uh, and all that and uh, uh as from Billy Wagner 68% for this guy no, another guy started from humble beginnings here uh, electorally, uh 10.3%, 10.2, you know, low tens around where um around where Roland started and uh, uh he's got 2 years left on the ballot. He's uh 68%, unfortunately, is not a slam dunk for a single year. Uh, uh entry, it's probably a 2-year process. Uh but I do think um the uh, the odds are in his favor and I'm I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, you know, the, I think this is a guy who had a comparatively short career, but the the stats tell a story of just complete and utter dominance. And he walked away after having a um, the bet, one of the best ERAs of his career, you know, below one and a half uh, at age 36. He could have kept going, but the pull of family for him was something that that meant something to him. And uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm good for him. I think it's uh, um, I'm excited to see uh, him get there, whether it's next year or the year after.
0: Andrew Jones is somebody who was such a terrific offensive player up until the age of 30, and then after that, he really dropped off and in and, and his last five years, bounced around a bunch of teams, but you look at his numbers in Atlanta, you almost put those as Hall of Fame worthy because he was a power-hitting center field, he was a great defensive player, and Andrew Jones also... Uh, people forget I know they they talk about well he was nothing good after thirty. He broke in as a nineteen year old which means he had a decade of dominance in major yep. league baseball
3: yep, he did he did he was a fantastic player <clears throat> you know unfortunately um, you know petered petered out in his thirties, like yep. you said, but um, even with a limited career, his defensive numbers are the best of all time in center field um, you know and there's there 's some question about uh the validity of those numbers again um, one of my friends chris dial who's who actually is is uh um, is part of the uh the sabre defensive uh, index committee that that uh, uh helps uh, that uh, helps with the advanced stat component of, of the gold gloves voting uh, that's come into you know come into the process in the last uh, decade um, you know we'll tell you that is is his his his, his, his uh, defensive value is a bit inflated cuz he was playing so shallow that he was stealing Pop-ups from from the shortstop and second baseman, but those, you know, those are pretty much automatic outs. No matter who catches them, and if it does, you know, if it does exaggerate his total by you know twenty, thirty, even forty runs, that still puts him as a top fifteen center fielder of all time, and uh, a guy who uh, I think is uh, should be an easy choice for the Hall of Fame.
0: Gary Sheffield finished with 509 home runs, a 292 batting average, numbers that on the surface would make him a lock to get into Cooperstown. However, we all know about, you know, what was said and the era he played in and, and all of that. He's uh, he jumped up fifteen percent to fifty-five uh, percent with in his uh ninth year. He's got one to go, needs to get twenty percent, seventy-two votes, and get into the Hall of Fame. What do you think the chances are of Gary Sheffield making the uh, the final year and 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 making an incredible run and getting in? It?
3: It's uh, you know, look, I, Larry Walker did just about the same thing. Walker came in with fifty four point six uh, percent in into his tenth year uh, and, and did get there. Um, Sheffield, I, you know, I, 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 the milestone. I mean, I think it, it, it should it should have made it an easy call. He does have the Balco connection. Um, by his description and the reporting of Tom Bertucci, he trained with Barry Bonds briefly. but when he discovered that Greg Anderson was giving him uh, illegal drugs he you know he 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 stopped training with him so thats you know that 's all we have on on him you know a guy who was i think to return to our previous term a bit of a pain in the ass to mm-hmm. uh, to his, his team got traded often, moved around a lot particularly early was mishandled by the Brewers and that really I think had a had a um, you know played a significant role in shaping the way that you know the his combative nature through the rest of his career. He was the nephew of Dwight Gooden and when Dwight Gooden got busted for drugs they started non randomly testing Gary Sheffield for drugs. The Brewers did, um, which was unjustified and should have gone against the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the collective bargaining agreement. It did go against the collective bargaining agreement. He had, he had grounds for grievance there, I think. Um, Brewers also sent him down uh, to the minor leagues for poor play, but he was in fact injured and they didn't believe him. Things like that. Um, look, I'm hopeful he gets in. I think he's got maybe a little bit more baggage uh, than, than, say, a walker, making it a little bit tougher. But I am optimistic that he gets into the Hall of Fame someday. It's just next year. The crowded ballot with Adrian Beltre coming on. Good point. And Joe Mauer and, yep. and Chase Utley and the guys we just talked about all you know uh, above uh, you know ab, ab, above him in the voting. It's just going to be tough to find room for all those guys. Uh, you know. at at that
0: level. I'm hoping he gets in because he would be the first former El Paso Diablo to come up as a double-A player and be into Cooperstown. So we're rooting for Gary Sheffield just for that reason alone. That would be awesome. Cool. All right, wrap it up. Beer pick of the week, Jay. I know uh, what the traditional beer is this week. Uh, Are you going to stay with that or are you going to buck the trend?
3: I can't find I can't find it anymore. I can't find arrogant bastard anymore. I've given oh. up. Um it's just, you know, it's a tr- it's a tradition that I enjoyed, but they made me work for it too much. Mm. Um and uh um I'm just not was just not down for it, especially this year, just too busy. So I went with with one that I hadn't had in cans ever before. Um, and only recently started seeing again and really hadn't had since the pandemic started because it was on tap at one of my lo- favorite local places, but just haven't been getting there with the same kind of frequency lately. Uh, this is Radiant Pigs Gangster Duck. Um, this is a New York State brewery. Um, I believe it's, it's uh, uh, brewed up. Uh, actually, I can't remember now uh, now that I think about it. But anyway, this is an, an, a hoppy, a red ale. Um, and it is named after a hip hop track. Um, and, uh, I really like it a lot. It's, uh, I got a 6.2% ABV. It's got a nice, uh, uh, bitterness to, uh, Belgian and American crystal malts, uh, kind of like an IPA, uh, cro- you know, crossed with a red ale. And, uh, um, some citrusiness to it, uh, a bit of sweetness to it. Uh, really, you know, different from from uh, just about everything else I am drinking these days.
0: I love it. That's a good one. Haven't heard that from you, Jay. I like it, especially that the fact that it's going into cans now. Nicely done. Hey, always enjoy the conversation, especially this week. Thanks for the time, and uh, again, congratulations because I know that uh, Scott Rowland and that induction means that uh, we're definitely seeing uh, a wave of change as far as the Hall of Fame goes.
3: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun.
0: You got it. He's Jay Jaffe, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back with more in a moment right after ABC 7 News. It's next. 600 ESPN, El Paso. 49 past the hour. Coming up in about a little more than 10 minutes. The brand-new head coach out at Judson University. Talking about the one and only Q who's going to join us. So excited for him, man. What an opportunity for Quentin Demps. Years ago, he's playing at UTEP, then he goes into the NFL, then he goes into coaching, starts his own foundation, now he's going to be a head college football coach. How cool is that?
1: It's so cool. I mean, last year he was at the Greater El Paso Football Showcase, doing a little work, doing a little recruiting and stuff like that. He was here this past uh, offseason doing the same, doing some recruiting, but it's hard to get people from El Paso. To out, out there to you know the Chicago Illinois area where you're having to pay your way to play at, at a lot of these NIA uh, NIA schools, um, and now he's going to be the head coach at a university. I think that uh, rise from being just a basic positional coach and recruiting coordinator to now a head coach at this university, I think it's an excellent opportunity for a former minor like Quinton Dems. I
0: totally agree, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I love that video yesterday. It kind of gives you goosebumps, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it just shows you also how much uh, he means to those players. I feel like when you saw the players' reaction to them finding out that Quentin Demps was going to be their head coach, it looked like a surprise to them, which would be also interesting to ask him when he he joins us here on the show. Uh, But yeah, just uh, all great stuff there uh, from Q and and being uh, named the head coach.
0: Uh, Speaking of football, you talk about this story during SportsCenter. Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Patrick Mahomes, the MVP finalists uh, this year in the NFL. I know he missed a few weeks towards the end of the season, but... Don't you think this is Jalen Hurts' MVP this year?
1: No, I think it's Mahomes. Do you really? Yeah, it's it's all Mahomes. He he killed it. He was consistent. I know you you got to knock guys for injury. Unfortunately, that's just how we we kind of grade these MVP awards. So I still think it'll be Patrick Mahomes. Hurts uh, had an unbelievable season. His team was first overall in the NFC, but you look at uh, the Chiefs and how they finished out. Mahomes was first overall in, in the AFC, and uh, I just feel like. When we're adding to the legacy that is Patrick Mahomes, this uh, this is one of those legacy MVP awards.
0: Well, the truth is, even if Hurts plays all 18 games, he doesn't come close to Mahomes' numbers. Mahomes' numbers were video game numbers. But understand that, you know, you got to add for Jalen Hurts another 760 yards rushing and 13 touchdowns. So, you know, that's 35 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, and really 4,400 combined yards. And I think that sometimes... That goes unnoticed because we're so busy looking at the passing numbers and and not the rushing numbers. Now, uh, it's not like Mahomes doesn't have rushing numbers. He does. The funny thing is for for uh, for Patrick Mahomes, you know, the rushing numbers aren't like huge um, the way they would be for Jalen Hurts. In fact, this year, three hundred and fifty-eight rushing yards, four touchdowns. So, I mean, still. 41 and 12 and 5,250 yards is pretty remarkable when you start to think about it. I'm just saying that when you add it all up, it's closer than you realize.
1: Oh, it's very close. It's a very close race between those two guys. I think it it really tells you uh, the rise that we've seen from Jalen Hurts as well. I don't want to take anything away from him. He probably played second best out of anybody across the league. That's why, in my opinion, uh, Jalen Hurts should definitely win Offensive Player of the Year across the league. I know some have thought, is it Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from the Vikings? No, in my opinion, give it to Hurts. He deserves that. Uh, the MVP, you, you give it to Mahomes because he played the whole year and he wasn't hurt and he. Was is consistent all year long and a winner at the highest levels in the AFC.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Listen, I have no problem giving Mahomes that. Um, Given giving Mahomes that award. In fact, it it makes sense. You know, it really does. It makes a lot of sense. But um, I, and and then. You've got Justin Jefferson in the mix, but it's so hard to give the MVP to a receiver compared to the quarterbacks that he's going up against.
1: That's why I always lean, like, if it's a receiver, just like last year, Cooper Cup, uh, historic year, he ends up winning Offensive Player of the Year. So if you don't get that uh, MVP award, I I know that a lot of people think, oh, you're just giving it to the person who had the most stats. And last year was Aaron Rodgers. The year before, it was Rodgers as well. Mahomes put up some record-breaking numbers on his end, career-high numbers on his end, so why not give it to the best player, uh, maybe arguably in the league?
0: I'm fine with that, and and, and that's probably what will end up happening, but I'm interested to see if Jalen Hurts will become part of this uh, this MVP race for future seasons, aren't you?
1: Yeah, if he can keep it up. That's another thing. Is It's hard to get to this point, but it's even harder to be a, c- a candidate for MVP year after year.
0: Quentin Demps, five minutes away, right after Sports Center, as hour number two of Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Here we go, hour number two on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Hope all of you are enjoying your Wednesday afternoon. Sun will soon be setting here in the Sun City. But I'll tell you right now, the sun is rising in the Demps household. That's for sure. One of our favorites, Quentin Demps, getting his first college head coaching opportunity. And he joins us live right now on the 600 ES Piano Paso Hotline to talk about it. Q, happy 2023. How are you?
4: I'm doing well, man. How you doing?
0: Ah, we're doing fine. I figured you're doing well. <laughs> I played the video yesterday of when you were announced as a yeah. new new head coach at, at Judson University. And you'll get a kick out of this. Some of our listeners, when they heard the news, thought that you were actually going to be head coach at Converse Judson High School in the state of Texas.
4: Oh, that makes sense. Because that it's such sense. a it's
0: such a power. They're like, wow, and I said, No, 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 this is we said this is Judson University in, in uh in Chicago. Yeah.
4: yeah, that's right. That's right, that's right. It that makes sense though, right? Makes well,
0: sense. first off, yeah. as a Texas high school football player, because you were one in San Antonio, yeah. you know all about Converse Judson, don't you?
4: I do. I love Converse Judson. I well, love it man they they uh they kind of laid the foundation of who I am as a football player, I mean who I was you know as a football player
0: for real well now program, um man. you love Judson University even more because that's where you're going to get the opportunity as the head coach. Tell me a little bit about uh you know the events that that led to your hiring here this week
4: yeah, you know, just uh man we just had some things open up you know uh we have a new a d he came in man he, he wants to you know shake things up man. he he, he saw something in me. You know, I believe in him. He believes in me, and so we just kind of make this thing work, man.
1: Q, uh, you've always maintained when it comes to working with young athletes, just talking to them as young men and and more than just an athlete. Is that kind of the same approach you'll have as a head coach when you deal with these young men at, at this level?
4: Yeah, coaching is a teacher. Like you're you're a teacher, you're a mentor, you're an encourager. So that's my that's my gifts, man. I'm, I'm an encourager. I'm a teacher, and I'm a motivator. So it just kind of fits right in with coaching. You know what I mean? So. And I, I know football. You know, of course, I played ten years in the NFL. Played football since I was nine years old. I know the game, so uh, I look forward, man, to, to mixing the two like being a being a mentor, but also being a coach too.
0: Well, and that's the key. And and you tell me yeah. from just being around the game as long as you have at all levels, yeah. as a head coach um, at this level at Judson University, will you be? Yeah um calling plays on either side of the ball or are you going to be more of like the CEO uh in charge of the of the team and the program
4: Yeah yes yeah my my strength is to you know delegate and kind of move around um I, I love the Xs and Os but I'm going to kind of manage my my staff man and kind of move around and do things like that man I don't, I don't see myself calling plays right now but I will be involved for our scheme and you know uh preparation and stuff like that but right now I'll be more of a CEO
0: Okay um, as far as yeah. the interview process goes, you mentioned the new AD and what they're looking to do as far as direction goes. Um, was it a long process for you, or was this a relatively uh, a quick, uh, quick thing?
4: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it was like it was a couple of weeks. It wasn't that long. Um, you know, right now it's the hard part though, like hiring the staff. You know, the, the, the work has started, I should say, but the process of being hired, man, wasn't really long. Once I found out about you know the opportunity.
0: Quentin Dempse here on Sports Talk as uh, we continue. uh, Brand new head football coach at Judson University out there in Chicago. You said it best you got to hire a staff. So um, tell me about your Rolodex. Are you you contacting former teammates at, at any level or just coaches you've met along the way in this journey? How's that going?
4: Kind of both, man. Kind of both, man. I'm open to to either way, you know. Uh, but I will be picky about, you know, who I let into into this space, man, because it's sacred for me. And um, I got a, I got a you know unique leadership style. So uh, but I'm open to both, man. Open to my my catalog of who I got in my phone, old teammates, NFL guys, and just guys I've met, you know, these last two years, man, coaching coaching uh, college football. So so we'll see how it goes, man.
0: Have any of your uh, former UTEP teammates hit you up yet and and want to get in on this?
4: Um, a couple, yeah. Actually, actually, they have
0: man. A couple guys have, have texted me, um, you know. So, so yeah. I'm not surprised. Um, you said right. something. You said something really interesting. Your unique skill set as head coach, and tell me what makes you different from other head coaches at all levels of football.
4: Um, just I think you are uh, just uh, a gift of putting myself in other shoes and being able, I'm a, I'm a servant leader. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a servant leader. Like I'm not a demanding, like I'm, I'm trying to serve I all want, I want my staff to be taken care of more than me. You know what I mean, so I put others before myself and that's how I, I get results like that. You know what I mean? That makes sense.
1: It definitely does, Q, and uh, and you know when we're talking about you and your philosophy specifically, one of the things that you bring to the table that you've worked on firsthand and championed in your efforts as a assistant coach. And a a recruiting coordinator is, you know what it means to go on the road and and get players and recruit them. And and you understand the process of bringing them in and actually developing them uh, throughout their college career. How how much is that expertise going to help you out in the head coaching role when you kind of understand that role really well as far as recruiting, bringing them in, developing the players, and then getting, getting them on the field?
4: Yeah, man, I, I look forward to that part the most. Um, the, you know, the recruiting part, man. Getting my feet dirty with, you know, like you said, man, getting to know these guys, knowing their parents, man, and bringing them in. And that's really the game, right there, man. You know, have some good coaches, but you got to have some good players too, man. So I, I really want to, you know, be a part of that process at every level. While I have some guys on my staff who I can trust with the X's and O's, I want to be a big-time recruiter as a head coach.
0: Tell us about the history of Judson University because unless you're from Chicago, you probably don't know much about this school. So, give our listeners a, a little bit of background about kind of the program you're inheriting and, uh, and and what uh you know what they've done over the years on the football field.
4: Yeah, well, well Judson University has been around for for a while, but the football pro- program has, was started 4 4 years ago. So this will be our third year of uh, – Playing games. The first year was just you know building everything out, getting the logo together. But we so we played two seasons of of real football. This year be our third, so we we are fairly new, and uh, we're fairly new to you know playing football. So it's it's a a new program that you know I'm taking over and I'm I'm looking forward to building it,
0: you know and making it my own. And how did the team do last year?
4: We I think we won two games last year. We won two games last year. You know, as a as a startup program, it's not terrible. Not terrible. You know, uh, we won six games in the last two years, which is pretty, with the most of any startup in the, whole world, in, the, in the whole nation, You know, if you look it up. So that's, that's, a, that's a plus for us, right?
0: That is a very good plus so, for you. That's right. Yeah. Now, now yeah. here's something... This is a new program still.
4: I'm looking
0: forward to it. Here's something really interesting, too, as we chat with Quentin Demps uh, here on Sports Talk. He's uh, taking over the football program at Judson University. He'll be head coach this year, the former minor and 10-year uh, NFL vet. Um, we know how big... NIL is in Division One FBS uh, college football, and it probably extends into FCS as well. Are you starting to see schools at the level you're at at Judson deal with NIL, or for the most part, is that just for the bigger colleges when it comes to their football programs?
4: Yeah, man, it's a it's it's is NAIA, naia football, man. We we're not on that level yet. <laughs> we we're not on that level, man. We uh, you know, um, yeah, we're not. We're not really worried about the NIL, you know. But but, but you no, know, maybe it turns around. Maybe it turns around down the road. Who knows? But right now, man, we yeah, we just not. We don't
1: can focus on that. Uh, well, Q, could you explain to some of our listeners then biggest difference you see from NAIA schools, JUCO schools, just to give everybody the understanding? Because, uh, you know, people who like us who, who report on UTEP football, we hear JUCO stories all the time of how players essentially have to pay to play a lot of times. But uh, give us the breakdown and the differences between uh, the NAIA level, the JUCO level, and what we see at the D1 level.
4: Well, it's, it's no, it's no secret, man. The it's, it's level, it's, I mean, the X is money, right? Budget, it's budget, man. It's budget, man. We, we're small school. We got about a thousand, a thousand, thousand students. You know what I mean? So it's just about budget. We don't, we don't offer full rides. You know, we try to make it to where some guys can get a full ride, but you know, for the most part, D one, man, you offer, you offer kids, you know, full rides because you got the budget, you got the money behind it. So in AIA, man, it's kind of like you know, smaller schools, man, with not that much money.
0: As far as your roster goes, what are we talking about here? Because I know 85 for Division One. How big are the rosters uh, over at NAIA level?
4: Uh, we try to keep it. We try to get to like 120. We try to keep the rosters, you know, full. But realistically, probably about 60 to 80.
0: Okay. Okay. So still a good, yeah, good size. Good size when you're yeah, talking about size. it. Right. Now, right, right, right. as big as you've been in El Paso over the years, not just playing at UTEP, but your foundation um, and the events you've done here, are you planning a football camp this spring where you could then target El Paso kids that maybe aren't uh going to go FBS um but look at possibly continuing to play college football and join you at uh, at, at Judson University?
4: Oh yes, I'm definitely going to use El Paso as a hub, man. I'm definitely going to be down there, man, trying to make, you know, trying to build a pipeline you know, to get these guys, man, to come play for me. Because there's some, it's some talent down there, man. Some good football players in El Paso. And more than that, man, some good, good students, man. Good, solid men, um, young men in El Paso, man, that I would love to get behind and, uh, you know, uh, recruit.
1: Uh, Q: You also mentioned, of course, you know we all know this, but you played in the NFL for ten years. One of the spots you had, uh, landing spots, was the Chicago Bears. Did, are you able to tap into any resources in the city of Chicago or where you're at right now to maybe pull some athletes or you know uh, develop those relationships with coaches to continue to develop your roster?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Bears have been uh, pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in my uh, success right now too. Like they helped me out a few times with getting, getting guys at the, at the small schools some, some gear, some gloves, some shoes, you know, so just tap into my resources, man, and, um, you know, make this experience for the guys, man, as best as possible. As close to D1 as we can get with, with the resources I have, you know what I mean?
0: Now tell me who you're competing against in football, because I see that there's the Chicagoland Collegiate Athletic Conference, but they don't have football yet. So what schools are you going to be going up against?
4: Um, schools like Saint Ambrose, man, Saint Saint Xavier, uh, Saint Francis, um, schools like that.
0: Okay, so places yeah. that travel is easy to get to, but um, you know you're still going against uh, programs along the same level as, as you're at, and I'm sure that for you, when it comes to recruiting, Midwest is going to be key, isn't it?
4: Absolutely, absolutely, man. You got you got to start your own backyard for sure.
0: Now, you mentioned something to us that's also pretty interesting here, Q, and you talked about how you know you want your staff and everybody to really get, get most of, of the credit. You're not looking for that right now. You just want to make sure that the program succeeds. Along those same levels, would, uh, just by watching the reaction that the uh, room had when you were named head coach, it seems like you're definitely a player's coach. Would you, would you go so far as to say that? Yeah,
4: absolutely, man. Um I'm a players coach for sure, man, through and through. But it's also a um, you know, respect factor that comes with that too. I'm I'm a players coach, but I'm not your homeboy. You know what I mean? We can laugh, giggle, but I'm not your I'm not your I'm not going to go out with you to have no drinks. this is, you know, I'm your leader, you know? So, but at the same time, man, I I know these guys are human, and I care about these guys. I care about them as an individual, as a student, you know, as a, as a, as a son, as a, you know what I mean? As a father for some of them. I just care about them, man. A mentor changed my life, man. So, that's that's my goal, man. To inspire, man, and, ch- and help help change lives, man.
1: All right, Q. You know I mean? promise. I promise this is and that was that was a great uh, answer to that question. But I I promise this is just a joke. But have you thought about your game day attire? What you're going to be wearing on the sideline? Uh, are we going to see some big shades Absolutely. or something like that? Well, what what's the game day Absolutely. attire?
4: I thought about I thought about my drip for show, man. I'm trying to see if I want to do that that Belichick half sweater with like a long sleeve under it, you know, with some Tim boots. Or if I want to do Jordans, I, I you know I got I got to figure out my style right quick, man. I've been i been thinking about it
0: though. Uh by the way, what what's what is the official um apparel of uh, Judson University? You guys a Nike school? What are you?
4: Yeah, we're, we're Nike right now. Unless you know some some people can give me some else Give me some money. You got some connections?
0: No, I thought uh, you probably have more connections <laughs> than I do. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but UTEP is switching from Nike to Adidas uh, this this upcoming are they year. Really? Yes, they are. Didn't that's
1: you come here, Q, so because uh, because UTEP was a Nike school? Isn't that the reason why you chose
4: UTEP? No, no, that's the reason why I didn't I almost didn't choose UTEP because it was sponsored by Adidas.
0: So wait a minute now, I, I'm confused. Did you want to be a Nike school, or did you want to go Adidas? What did you want to be out of high school?
4: I, I, w- I wanted to be Nike when I was coming out. Okay. Wasn't, Adidas wasn't cracking no twenty. 20-
0: and they were Adidas at the and they were Adidas at the time, but um, then they became yeah. Nike when you were here. Yeah,
4: that's right. Mike Price came in. Yes, had, we had all Nike.
0: By the way, what do you prefer? Yep. Do you prefer the Jordan brand or the Nike brand?
4: I like I like the the Nike brand for sure. Okay, Jordan brand is hard, though, but I like I like the Nike brand.
0: Uh, that sounds good. Ooh. Is it is it safe yes. to say that uh, Judson University will be one of the best looking, best dressed uh, football programs in the league?
4: Ah. Uh, I can't. I can't say that. I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't care about that kind of stuff when it comes to football. i right. I want. I want some, I want some dogs. I don't want nobody to worry about that uniform like that. Right. Well, <laughs> you know what okay. I'm right. Yeah. That's I'm trying like, try to make sure we we get some good
0: stuff. All right. But, you just so, worry about what yeah. you're going to wear on the sidelines, and uh, the That's football right. team That's will right. take care That's of the right. rest. All right. That makes sense. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, when are we going to see you back in El Paso next? What's the schedule going to be like for you?
4: Oh man, I don't know. I don't know, man. Probably, probably uh, summertime. Probably summertime for sure.
0: Okay, well, you've got some work to do. How much? How much? How how much uh, hiring do you have left as far as your staff goes?
4: Man, I got man. I just so it's only been a day. Only been a day, man. So I got, I got, I got, I got, I got some work to do.
0: So now, so you're you don't even know if you're going to be allowing any of the pre uh, like the current like the former staff on. Are you going to be interviewing all of them, or are you just going to be bringing a whole new group on board?
4: Yeah, we're we're in that process right now of interviewing uh, the old staff, new staff. You know, so we're, we're just in that process. Yeah, we're in that process. All right,
0: we're excited. We're going to keep following you, yeah, and uh, we're excited for you. Congratulations! Before I let you go, who do you like in the championship games this weekend?
4: I like, good. I, like uh, I like the Bengals and the Niners.
0: Oh, you're going with both road teams this weekend.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think Mahomes being hurt, man. It's gonna, it's gonna or the Chiefs, but I, I like the Niners so much. So you know, that's who I got.
0: Um, I'm, are you are you a fan of Brock Purdy? or Are you just a fan of this whole team in general? Rick.
4: Okay, what'd you say?
0: Uh, no, no. I was gonna ask you if you're a fan of Brock Purdy or just the whole team in general.
4: Oh no, no. yeah, the whole team, the whole team. Well, really, really, D'Amico Ryan's man. I, I yeah. played with him uh, in Houston. So he's a DC man. Just, just his leadership and just who he is as a person, man. Just the way they play defense, man. I'm
0: a fan of that. You wouldn't be surprised if D'Amico gets a head coaching job in the NFL, would you?
4: I would not be surprised at all. D'Amico yeah. is an amazing leader. He's an amazing leader.
0: That's awesome. All right, listen. I know you're busy. We hear the background going on. Thanks for taking yeah, time out joining that. us. And uh, congratulations, Q, once again on the opportunity at Judson University.
4: Thank you. Thank you all so much, man. Anytime, too, Asian, You know I got you, bro. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate you, Q. Love you, El Paso.
0: Quentin Dems, folks. Brand new head coach judson university as we continue 19 pass charlie's back he's got traffic we've got plenty more sports talk coming up right here 600 ESPN El paso back on sports talk your phone calls 505-6009 our telephone number still to come babe Loffenberg joining us on the show who will as i'm sure been in demand after the cowboys got knocked off by san francisco and you know Babe, I'm sure we'll have his thoughts on the future of the Dallas Cowboys and uh, you know what the team uh, you know could do and uh, where they could go from here. It's so interesting.
1: Yeah, he probably will want to talk a lot of UTEP football with us. So we're going to yeah. have to try to get more Cowboys questions out there and, and then he might throw out some uh, questions to us as far as UTEP football. You you know, babe, he's a he's a UTEP football diehard.
0: Truth is, the interview could be all UTEP and no Cowboys. Although That's I have right. a feeling we'll have to try and At least, you know, talk a little Cowboys with Babe and get his thoughts on the NFC Championship game, right?
1: We have to. We have to. He's the man, and we heard him all season long here on our partner station, 95.5 KLAQ,
0: so get a chance to hear from him to wrap up the season will be great. It's a good point. It's a really, really good point. So that'll be happening. Hey, uh, also, boy, oh boy, if you're not watching this, it is so impressive with what Xavier is doing to UConn here at the half. 39-24, and by the way, This game is featuring Suley Boom and Tristan Newton. They're guarding each other, folks. And so far through the first half, Suley with five points, three rebounds, two assists, while Newton eight points, two assists to lead the way for UConn on four or five shooting. But I got news for you. Uh, Newton is the only bright spot for the Huskies right now shooting 32% from the field. Xavier's shooting 50%. And, you know, the Musketeers look like a Final Four team the way they've gone into UConn and are leading this one by 15 at the break.
1: Yeah, uh, Joe Lenardi, the ESPN bracketologist, projects them to be uh, a three seed at worst probably in the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done. Uh, and, you know, you got to give a ton of credit to Sule Boom, former minor who is just a- outstanding right now for Xavier. To just put it into perspective, last year he was among the best uh, three-point shooters in Conference USA at 37% from beyond the arc. And, you know, we knew Sule, volume score, volume shooter. This year, he's 43%. He has improved that uh, three-point percentage um, you know, dramatically. And uh, that is going to be something that could help him eventually get a pro gig at some point.
0: And I know for years we kind of thought Sean Miller was going to get busted and be out of basketball for all the stuff that he uh, dealt with years ago at Arizona. So look what happens. He resurfaces at Xavier. He's built a monster over there now. And, you know, Sule is leading the way. It's crazy to think about that. And you know what might have saved Sean Miller? NIL. It's <laughs> very true. possible that NIL has saved Sean Miller's career because of what it's done to the sport. Because how do you take somebody and, and kick them out when you see what, they, what they, you know, what's, it's turned into five years later? What we were so upset about, uh,
1: well, I would say we as the masses. I'm, I'm saying that uh, what the masses were very upset about. Sean Miller when he was at Arizona was the FBI scandal where he recruited a lot of uh, players, most notably DeAndre Ayton, mm-hmm. who was the first overall draft pick uh, in the NBA. Um, he recruited all these guys, gave him a lot of money, and now all the things that he's doing are legal. Exactly, so, so he can exactly. benefit big time from NIL, and he's doing it at Xavier uh, with the, um, you know, if you could overlook that lost last week to DePaul this team could be at this point 17 and 4 um you know and uh you know they lost to DePaul who actually beat UTEP earlier this year and that was just last week here's
0: what's crazy okay UConn is 11 and 1 at home Xavier is 4 and 1 on the road so think about that right there and not to say that UConn doesn't come back in the second half and wipe out this 15 point lead and and beat the Musketeers but it's not looking good and and Sean Miller's got it going on at at Xavier. He really does. It's almost like some people are calling it the East Coast version of Arizona.
1: Oh, man, I like that. Uh, I like that. And especially because there's so much... Uh, opportunity in the Big East as it stands right now. There's some quality programs. Look at Shaka Smart heading over to Marquette. They're 16 and five. That's a really good team. Also Ed Cooley out at Providence. They're a top 25 team as well. They're 15 and five. This Big East is great the way it's at right now, and it makes you uh, you know reflect back on some of the great Big East uh, matchups that we are. I mean conferences that we've seen before. It doesn't have your marquee names. Georgetown is one of the worst teams in the. League league if not the worst right now, but it still has such great competition, top uh top to uh, pretty much bottom, and uh it's impressive what the big east is putting out right now.
0: And I also want to say this, okay? Anybody was kind of wondering if Sule boom made the right decision? Uh the answer is yes. He sure did.
1: Big time. And he might not be an NBA draft pick whatsoever, but he could find his way onto a roster on the G League or he could play international basketball for years and maybe even decades if he plays like this.
0: Had he stuck around at UTEP with the team they built, um, is it possible that the Miners right now could potentially be uh, a top three team in the league? Absolutely. Um, could they be a team that could have a chance come March? Sure. But would they be a top ten overall team and a three seed in the NCAA tournament? No way. No chance at all. So, And, and the truth is, I'm sure, uh, because he's Sean Miller, that Sule Boom was compensated very nicely for uh, coming and playing one year at, at Xavier. And, you know, uh, that really is, is what it's all about. And Sule's no dummy. He saw what happened with Bryson Williams at Texas Tech. He thought, well, why not me? And that's exactly what's happened.
1: Yes, that's right. At this point last year, in fact, uh, you look January 25th, uh, at this time last year, Texas Tech with Bryson Williams was fifteen and five, almost identical records. Steve, almost identical success that the Red Raiders had last year with Bryson Williams, who left UTEP and was one of their best players for Texas Tech uh, last season. And they went as far as what they went three deep in the NCAA tournament. They went, they had their own run on their side, and they barely lost to Duke, seventy-eight to seventy-three, in a game in which uh, Bryson Williams played pretty well. So uh, when Players like this leave UTEP. You know they they find their way, and for both Bryson and Sule, they made the right decision. We have to say that
0: 505-6009, our telephone number. As we continue here on Sports Talk, there's not even a question about those two talented ball players. My only my only regret. Is that UTEP never got more out of the two of them when they were playing on the same team together.
1: Yeah, they never won anything here. Right? No, they, they never. they were a
0: 500 team.
1: Yeah, they never capitalized on the talents that they had. And Anthony Tark is another guy who's in the G League right now, had a lot of success at Coppin State, was their player of the year in that league, goes off to the G League, but never could tap into that potential here at UTEP.
0: Completely underutilized as a UTEP minor. That's
1: right, yeah. He had
0: no confidence here. None. So, all right. We'll do more in a moment, but first, bottom of the hour, middle of the show. We're doing three hours this whole week on Sports Talk. It's great. Here he is, Adrian Sports SportsCenter next. Thank you for mentioning uh, the Holmberg goal, 1-0 Toronto, leading the Blue Shirts. These two teams having very similar seasons, by the way. Maple Leafs are 29-11-8. They're 18-3-4 at home. The Rangers are 26 14 and seven, and 14, 5 and three on the road. They're a really, really good road team. In fact, they are, um, you know, a 500 home team practically, and really good on the road. So we'll see. Great home team against a great road team something yeah. something's got to give, right
1: I like this uh, I like this matchup. I like the fact that we're getting into some really relevant hockey action right now here in the month of January and this is the the time if you're a, a hockey fan just talking to somebody who's a Steelers fan recently. Uh, they said, hey, uh, football season's over. Don't care about basketball season because of the seventy sixers. It's all about uh, or you know it's all about right now what you see with the Penguins uh, in Pittsburgh
0: some action.
1: Yeah, I like that action. We've got
0: action. <laughs> well, now we've got some. Now we've got some action uh, here on on Sports Talk. All right, um, thirty five past as we continue. Patty Mahomes says he's ready to go for the AFC title game. Do you believe him, or do you think that you know, even though he's declared himself ready on Wednesday? Um, until you watch him on the field going up against a Cincinnati team that is a very trendy team, let's be honest. Most people are picking Cincinnati to beat Kansas City. Very few believe at this point that Mahomes will be able to do something he's never done in his career, and that is knock off Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot
1: of people are pointing to that injury. The only thing I would would caution people when they point out to that injury is I'd say this, look – if you're looking at the Bengals defense and you're trying to bring a lot of quality things to, they're not that great. Mm-hmm. That's just what I'm saying. Is there if you had to pull all the defenses in the rest of the teams that 49ers, Eagles, Bengals, and Chiefs, Bengals would probably probably come in last among that list on defense, and the Chiefs probably third in that list as well. So it's gonna I, be a score fest. I think it could be a shootout. And when you look at Patrick Mahomes and what he does in shootouts he usually comes out on the, the top end of that. Look at yes, last year, or look at two years ago, uh, or actually it was last year when they go up against the Bills in that divisional round playoff game. They went out in a shootout against Josh Allen, and they
0: won. It's true. Let's hear from Mahomes earlier today.
2: How's the ankle? It's doing good. You know, I've had a few days of treatment, a few days of rehab. Uh, excited to get on the practice field and kind of test it out and uh, see where I'm at, but uh, it's feeling good so far.
1: You, you expressed it. you'd start treatment. The night after the game, can you just kind of bring us through what that night was and then these last few days, what, what you've been doing?
2: Yeah, I was able to do some extra testing just to make sure everything was good, uh, not after the game, and then get a few things done uh, to help the treatment kind of start off. And then the next few days has just kind of been, I mean, all-day thing where you're just doing either treatment or rehab or watching film. And uh, I, I had to take Brittany a few places with me so I can be around the kids a little bit. But uh, it's a full-day thing where you're trying to make sure that you're obviously prepared for the Bengals and a great football team. Uh, mentally and physically. Patrick what, do you feel,
4: Patrick, what do you think has been the toughest
5: injury that you've had to play through before? How that might serve you for Sunday?
2: Uh, probably my toe would probably be the, the toughest injury. I remember when I had the toe, I was like having to I had to curl my toes when I walked, so that was probably the the toughest injury that I, I had to play through. Um, but I've dealt with a lot of them, and, and uh, you gotta have to mentally just get yourself to focus on what needs to be focused on, and that's the team that you're playing. And you prepare your body all week, and then when you get to Sunday, uh, you focus on playing the football game, and uh, that's what I'm going to try to do this week.
0: Mahomes, everybody, from earlier today, talking about uh, his ankle and where it is uh, as far as Sunday's game goes. So um, I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun, and I know football fans are looking forward to it also. In fact... It is the late game on Sunday. The um, early game will be San Fran and Philly. That's the 1 o'clock game. This one is going to be kicking off at 4.30 here in El Paso, Cincinnati and KC. And um, even though, um, you know, I said it earlier, Kansas City is home. They are one point dogs right now, according to the uh, odds makers. One point, I mean, Cincinnati minus one in KC against Mahomes is shocking. I wonder now that Mahomes declares himself ready to go if this becomes more of a pick 'em uh, come Sunday. And by the way, remember, home team gets three points for being home, which means that if you think about it, currently it's like saying Cincinnati minus four uh, over uh, KC. And uh that's an interesting
1: point you bring up because I there's always the what if if this one was played at the neutral site and that line would have probably been at that at that point but uh you know just looking at Mahomes' numbers it's it's pretty amazing you can't take him for granted one, one bit I mean he's only 6 years into the mm. NFL isn't that crazy he's already won a MVP already won a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP
0: he could make it too this this time around on both on all ends and if he beats and if he beats Burrow you could easily give kansas city the favorite heading into the big one um, i think so you know in a couple of weeks because you know it's hey if you knock off cincinnati some people think that that's that that is going to be the toughest opponent they're gonna to have to deal with anyway not to put uh, anything uh you know off of on san francisco or philadelphia but if you can finally beat joe burrow for the first time and hand cincinnati that playoff that championship defeat they're going to be hard to lose uh, t- t- to beat in the, in the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, Mahomes' record in the postseason, 9-3. and three. I mean, that's Lord. a great record right there. He that doesn't is. lose.
0: So true. You want to talk about it? 505-6009. Babe Loffenberg 20 minutes away here on Sports Talk as we continue. Before we go to break, hey, um, I don't know if you heard this story or not, but, uh, you know, so many people in El Paso are looking to move to other cities to be close to their families, and they need to sell their home. It's what happened with Douglas. He was going to Austin. Um, And he needed to sell his East El Paso home. And you know what? He also knew he needed the very best marketing strategies. So he reached out to Brian Birds and his team. And that's what Brian did. Provided all the expertise needed to get the job done. And that's what happened, folks. In fact, the home was listed for $256,000. Sold and closed just in time for Christmas. So Douglas could now enjoy his family with one less worry on his mind. Now, I know a lot of you are probably worried about leaving money on the table. If you sell your home, well, don't worry. Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team, powered by EXP Realty, has you covered. Here's why, okay? Not just the annual marketing budget that's 25 times higher than the average real estate agent's income, but he's got hundreds of buyers ready to buy right now. So if your home lists between 150 and 300 thousand, he's got you covered. So call the official real estate agent of Utah, El Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos. The only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. Brian Birds. B-U-R-D-S, start packing.
2: Hey, El Paso, have you heard? To sell your home, call Brian Go to Eight-point game, fifty three forty five.
0: 45 Xavier's still leading it. Uh, how cool is this? Sule Boom and Tristan Newton each have 14 points. Leading the way for both teams.
1: That is so cool. Uh, one of the mo- two of the more prolific point guard transfers uh, mm-hmm. in this past transfer portal cycle. East Carolina had Tristan Newton, and they never won with Tristan Newton. Well, now he's winning at UConn. UTEP never won with Sule Boom. Now he's winning at Xavier. Top, uh, you know, They were a top three team last week in the country. Uh, right now they're ranked 13th. UConn's 19th. These are two of the best teams of the Big East going at it right now. I love it.
0: It's a lot of fun. It really is. It's on FS1. We're watching it here in the uh, 600 ES Piano Paso Studios and having a good time with that uh, as well. Uh, but it's a 53-45 game with about 13 and change left to go. Good stuff. Folks. Yeah, good stuff.
1: Really good stuff. This is the quality college basketball that we've been looking for. And I, I'm not somebody who loves to watch college basketball every single night in January or February, but this is the time where it starts. Hey, these wins, when you start to stack them up, they it starts to become quality wins for these programs. We could see both these teams, Xavier and UConn, come March going deep in the in the NCAA tournament if they continue to play like this.
0: I think so too. And how great would it be if one of these teams ends up, uh, you know, as a Final Four team? That would be amazing. That
1: would be amazing. Uh, we're working on bringing Sulei back on the show with us and just to catch up with him. But we should definitely catch up with Tristan too. We've we've d- uh, done it over time, and uh, he's you know he's we know him here on this show as well. So both these guys we're rooting for.
0: Yeah, they're both really good people, and they're playing uh, big time college basketball. Let's be honest, Big East is a terrific league. It always has been, always will be. And um, I'm watching, you know, I'm watching this game, and I'm watching the atmosphere, and I'm seeing the crazy student sections. I'm like, oh my god, that looks like so much fun right now. It really does.
1: Yeah, can you imagine just hitting a dagger three right here in, in a big game like this, and all the students going crazy? That's what college basketball is about. And we were talking about good student sections yesterday, bad student sections. Mm-hmm. UConn has a great student section, from what we're seeing.
0: They do. They really do. Uh, also, this confirmed for Friday show. Excited about this, UTEP fans, and I think you will be excited about this too. Um, we've got Jay-Zion Jackson and Alina Enrique. Uh, They're going to both join us in studio uh, at 6 o'clock on Friday from the UTEP women's basketball team.
1: Hey, women's basketball has a huge game this weekend. Uh, it's North Texas coming to town Saturday, and so, yeah, they'll get a chance to preview that matchup with us here on the show, which is going to be really exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, um, you know, they are a team that has, you know, I don't want to say – been a a secret, but they kind of have. Don't you think, Adrian? People aren't talking about the women like they should.
1: They're not. Uh, I feel, and I get it, you know, they've had some, they had that loss last week to FIU that made you kind of scratch your head, but they also had an overtime victory against Florida Atlantic to kind of write that road trip last week, so they're not the best when they travel away from the Don Haskins Center, but still, this is a really good team right now that's 13-5 and five and 6-3 and three in CUSA.
0: They are, and they're winning games, and they're Playing impressive in that process, and um, just you know, that's it's what they're doing, folks. They're they're doing all the right things right now. It's 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 fun, and they've they've put together a, a good transfer group that, when you combine with the players back they there, they've, they're, they're, there's like different heroes every night. It's the cool thing. It's not. It's not like it's the same group that's that's leading them over. They've got a. They've got probably a half dozen players that have all been able to shine on different uh, on different nights for this team.
1: Oh, and I just realized, Steve, this is actually uh, this game means a little bit more to Jazzy on Jackson specifically. She played for North she Texas. Did. Yeah, so they're welcoming uh, in this Mean Green team that's 6-13 and 13 right now. And whether it's Jackson, like you mentioned, Arike, uh Avery Krause, some given nights, this team has a lot of balance as UTEP squad, and I think that's what makes them uh, a lethal squ- uh, group moving forward.
0: So we're going to have the Foss join us as well on Friday's show. And uh, in addition to that, we're going to have the UTEP women. And um, who knows what other fun guests we're going to sprinkle in on the program. Point is, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. Lane Frank back tomorrow. Jeff Erickson with us tomorrow as well. So, uh, And we're hoping for some other special guests on our Thursday edition of the program. So, yeah, we're trying to stack the deck a little bit. And, by the way, get ready because two weeks from today, we're live at Radio Row. Super Bowl 57. We'll be there. With laying down the laws, the Foss, Steve Foster, and Chris Fernandez. And uh, it is going to be a happening. we got so many great people on board. I uh, just want to say hi to uh, Felipe Truax at Border Pallets, um, the great folks at Technomark uh, El Paso, and also Chick-fil-A on uh, Airway Drive, as well as Cielo Vista Mall. Those are just some. We've got more as well, Rise Federal Credit Union, Adrian, and you've got uh, quite a few people that are involved.
1: That's right. New start homes. Uh, big shout-out to Jason. Got the commercial back. We're going to be running those commercials coming up soon. Very excited for uh, – uh, El Paso's top mobile home dealer, that's New Start Homes, and then Oscar at this agency. They're going to be joining us as well for the Super Bowl.
0: And more people coming on board every single day, something we're very excited about. All right, we continue. We've got uh, hour number three. We've got Babe Loffenberg standing by. Stay with us, folks. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Such a fitting song, considering uh, our next guest ran into... The boss years ago, one of my favorite stories from the one and only Babe Laufenberg, the biggest UTEP fan outside of El Paso, who joins us here (laughs) on Sports Talk. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Babe, and uh, thanks so much for giving us a little time here on a Wednesday. How are you?
6: Thank you, Steve. And let me just say, you said I'm the biggest fan outside of El Paso, maybe inside of El Paso, too.
0: I like that, Babe. I like that. It's true. You yeah. also um, you also work UTEP football into Dallas Cowboy radio broadcasts flawlessly. <laughs> you really do.
6: do. Oh, thank you. No, I do. I, I, uh, there's a gentleman, gosh, forget his name, but he works at the Rib Hut. And he's behind the counter. He's a cook, and so he uh, he doesn't get a chance to watch a game. He'll, hey, he told me he has the radio on back there and listens to it. So we gave him a shout out one time. Of course, anytime they do, you know the demo Drive, where the quarterback just gets shoved in the back. Got to mention Dana Dimmel there in the UTEP Miners.
0: So, <laughs> I love it, and and you're right. Um, and and interestingly enough, you know, I last saw you at the UTSA game when you were on the field for that one. And um, how interesting that UTEP went into the transfer portal this week and and picked up a, a UTSA defensive back who is uh, committed to the Miners for this upcoming season.
6: No, I like it. I like it. And, you know, you bring up that game, and I'm still sick. You you just put a pit in my stomach again, Steve. I kind of got over it, Mm. but we're up 24-0, and I just thought, here we go. We're going to beat two top, you know, two ranked teams. After beating Boise State earlier in the year, we're going to beat them. We're going to a bowl. I'm going to go to the bowl. And then it went the other way.
0: (laughs) I know. I know. I know I'm with you. I still have a hard time with it, too. Um, And at the same point, you know, the the exciting thing is, babe, there's a new season coming up, and, you know, we can always say that uh, we'll we'll just have to put this one behind us and and look forward to 2023. I was really hoping that uh, for the sake of the Cowboys, uh, you guys were also going to be looking forward to uh, keeping your uh, season alive this weekend. But, unfortunately, uh, well, it just wasn't in the cards, was it?
6: no uh and i think going in everybody kind of thought the 49ers were a better team doesn't mean they weren't beatable but i think they were the better team and then you finish the game up and and they were the better team and, and i always say you got to play the game that's presented to you that day and you know it became a, obviously a, a low scoring game you know and uh cowboys had their chances had the ball at the end with 245 uh long way from the goal line but had a chance to get the thing tied, couldn't do it there, and they got it back with forty-five seconds and no timeouts. And you know that was going to be a tough road, but they they couldn't get that done either. But uh, hey, I will say this: the minute that game ended, I just said that is going to be a that's going to be a fist fist fight in Philadelphia with the Forty ers and the Eagles. Those two defenses are physical, and they beat you up.
0: Is I mean, between the two teams, you tell me because you watched them both this year. Um, which is the more physical of the two?
6: You're talking Philadelphia and San Francisco? Yes, sir. I mean, I think they're both up there, but I'm, I, might give the, I, I might give the nod to San Francisco because of the play of their linebackers. I think both fronts are great, front fours. And, uh, but Warner, there, linebacker, and uh, even Greenlaw, I mean, those are two top physical guys. I give the edge to Philly in the secondary. They, they have two really good corners. And uh, I think if there's anything lacking on San Francisco, although they shut down the Cowboys, I think you can get after their corners a little bit. Their safeties are very good. 49 is very good. But, um, yeah, I think you can get after their corners a little bit. But, yeah, either, either way, they're going to just beat the heck out of each other. <laughs> and I
0: can't wait. Babe Loffenberg joining us on Sports Talk here as uh, we continue in our final hour. Adrian.
1: Babe, uh, Adrian back here. Just wanted to ask you now that uh, we've turned the page. You know, a lot of people here in El Paso were already ready to rush to a quick judgment for this uh, Cowboys football team and wanted them to do something immediately after the season, but it will take time to, for them to develop what they're doing this offseason. In your opinion, what are some of the immediate things that they need to tackle this offseason in order to you know get better and get ready for next year?
6: First, agent, I'm not used to talking to you unless it's after a game. I'm calling in. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right.
6: I, I always call in to Adrian, Steve, after the game wherever I am, whether it's home. I think I called in driving back to Dallas as a matter of fact in the UTSA game, but I, I do think you, you always have to let your emotions calm down a little bit mm-hmm. um, no matter you know in any decision making, right? Whether it's <laughs> in a relationship where you got a football team, you try to take the emotions down a little bit and then make a more rational decision. And so I think that th- this team will do it. One thing, it, it was pretty clear. Um, they need more firepower on offense. They need more playmakers. And when they lost Pollard, they lost Tony Pollard in the second quarter. They really only have two playmakers, what I would call playmakers, you know, one is CD lamb and the other was Tony. And he went out in the second quarter and, and they were really just down to one at that point. Yeah. But, um, so have a tough decision to make on Zeke. Obviously, if he comes back, it'll be for a reduced rate and probably a much reduced rate. But again, they've, they've got to figure out a way to get some weapons offensively. Um, and that was the one thing they didn't, they didn't have this year, I felt like was. And I felt that way going in. I said at the start, you know, they're, they're kind of fooling themselves. It's, it's back to 2018 when they thought they would do receiver by all these by, receiver by committee with all these kind of three, four and five type of receivers. And that didn't work. That's when they traded for Murray Cooper. And, uh, you know, this year, unfortunately, they, they didn't have anybody to trade for. Um, you know, nobody was coming in to save the day like Mari did for that 2018 team. And, and they paid the price, I think, in that playoff game.
0: If you're the Cowboys, do you re-sign Tony Pollard coming off the broken fibula? Or is that knowing the kind of money he's going to command and that injury, do you, do you really give that some thought? Well, it, I,
6: the, the beauty is their team doctors are the ones doing the surgery, right? So you're going to have a good medical report. You're not relying on, on somebody in Miami to tell you how this guy's leg is healing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they give you a good report and say he's going to heal up, I think there's no question you've got to figure out a way to sign Tony Pollard. Now, everything, I, I say all that with the caveat, what's the price? Is somebody going to pay him $15 million a year? I don't think that'll happen, but if that was the case, then you have to let him walk. But I think they're going to do everything they can uh, to try to get Tony signed up. He was a really, really good player for him this year. And keep in mind, he's still young. This is only his fourth year.
0: Babe Loffenberg with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. I wrote about um, the comparison and striking similarities with Tony Romo and Dak Prescott as far as playoffs go. And Babe, it was weird. I mean, it was weird. They, they've they got the same record, 2-4. and four. They've got nearly the same quarterback rating when you look at the uh, six games combined. And, I mean, I know that a lot of people are, are not going to just group Romo and Prescott in the same breath based on their career arcs um, and, and the teams they had around them. But I was a little surprised that the numbers matched up as much as they did between both quarterbacks.
6: And both 0-3 in the divisional round.
0: Mm-hmm. Obviously,
6: neither has gotten to the NFC Championship game. I, I think the one difference is, and it's a big difference, Dak's career is still in front of him, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, Tony's in the books, right? He's like that starting pitcher where you give the line and you say, so <laughs>
0: that's right. That's in the
6: books. But Dak's still, hey, he can still win a Super Bowl, go win two. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but uh, he still has a lot of football in front of him, so... Well, we'll see where it takes him. Um, I will say he, he had he was blessed with a good defense. I don't think Tony played with quite the defenses that Dak had these last couple of years, um, and and that's fluid as we know that. Hey, the roster changes about twenty five to thirty percent in professional football now every year. So, while well, you look and say, hey, they're a great defense, you, you got to figure out who you're going to sign. They're going to be back. J. Ron Curse is up. Some of these other guys. Um, so, there's still a little. You know, before they kick it off in September next year, there's still going to be a lot of moving parts.
1: Uh, speaking of moving parts, the uh, coaching changes will be very interesting to monitor with the Cowboys. I mean, we just saw today Kellen Moore completing his second interview with the Carolina Panthers, and you wonder about Dan Quinn uh, on the defensive side if he would take a head coaching opportunity if he was offered one.
6: Well, I think he would take it if he, if he were offered one, but it's funny. these I don't think I've ever seen teams interview so many coaches. I mean, usually there's, you get three or four guys right into the interview and I think Denver's got like 10 coaches they've interviewed. But the whole domino in that coaching um, carousel is Sean Payton. I think Sean Payton, as long as they want to pay him, (laughs) Sean Payton uh, is going to be the plum of that coaching group. So I think whichever job he takes, then the dominoes are going to start to fall. And as I tweeted yesterday, not that I expect everybody to follow my tweets, but if they want to, I'm at Dave Laufenberg, but seven of the eight teams that were in the the final eight, right, that played last weekend, uh, they are offensive head coaches. Sean McDermott was the only guy that came from the defensive side of the football and was a head coach of the final eight. And of the final four now, which we're down to for the conference championship games, all four are offensive coaches. Three of the four are the play callers for the team. So to me, D'Amico Ryan's uh, 49ers coordinator, Dan Quinn, I don't ask him, hey, what do you, what's the culture going to be? What's this plan? What's that plan? What do you like to do here? first thing I say is who's your offensive coordinator? Because if they don't bring in somebody that that is good, you, you just struggle. And, uh, and a couple of the teams, too, as I said, you know, in Arizona and Denver, I need a guy that's going to fix my quarterback, right? I mean, Kyler Murray is locked up long-term. Uh, Russell Wilson is locked up long-term, so I need somebody to fix him. In the other places, uh, Carolina, Houston, although I do like Davis Mills, but there you gotta, you got to have a guy that's going to have to develop a young quarterback, much like we saw, hey, we saw Doug Peterson go to Jacksonville this year, right? Uh, the Urban Meyer, we'll call it regime, was total disaster, and they brought in an offensive coach, a guy that was a former NFL quarterback himself, a coordinator, a head coach, an offensive guy, and uh, you know they had Trevor Lawrence. You better invest. You better invest in a guy that's going to make him great. So obviously they got the right hire in Doug Peterson. Now these other teams are going to have to figure out the same thing.
0: Babe's been busy on Twitter, folks. Uh, First off, two days ago, he talked about the McCarthy firing talk, and he said that was silly and gave you reasons. He also talked about Dak and mentioned he needs to get back to his rookie year. So, yeah, Babe is a great follow on Twitter if you're not already doing it. At Babe Loffenberg on Twitter.
1: Plus, he throws in some UTEP stuff on Twitter.
0: He did. He just congratulated Joey Lightfoot, who uh, committed to the minors yeah. and, and gave him a let's yeah. go. That's the nice thing. You, you go right into players' uh, you know, messages and, and give him a little love. I love that, babe.
6: Well, you know what's funny? I follow Joey Lightfoot. Hopefully, he's listening. And he, he and followed me right back. And now, my question for him is and Adrian won't know who this is, but is he related to Gordon Lightfoot?
0: The singer, mm, that's a good Adrian, question. Do you know who Gordon Lightfoot is?
1: No clue. I'm I'm googling right now.
0: Uh, this could just go <laughs> and, into the uh, 1970s uh, 70s rock, Adrian. <laughs> 70s rock. That's right. Um, and go
6: listen to if you could read my mind, Adrian, and you'll love
1: it. All right, I got you. I got you.
0: Yeah, there you go. Okay. And by the way, um, you know there can't be that many Lightfoot uh, individuals around. That's, that's one of those names. You figure there's got to no. be some kind of uh, some kind of relationship, right?
6: that's what I'm thinking. And if there is, I want him to introduce me because I love Gordon Lightfoot.
0: (laughs) Good. Well, we need to work on that one. Uh, When are you coming back into town? When are we, uh, when is UTEP fans going to get a chance to see you? Will you be here for spring ball?
6: I'll be there for spring ball and I'm actually hoping, um, I'm hoping to get out there and see Coach Joe and see one of the basketball games. So, but I'll definitely, at worst, be out there for, for a spring practice or two, see how we're shaping up, see what else we can do with the fight station. Good, the Luke Lawford Fight Station. I want to. We're going to keep contributing money to that, and it started out we're you know doing protein shakes, and then we've been able to do nutrition bars and sandwiches. We you know we keep money going in. I got to talk to Coach Shop; he's my man out there, uh, strength and conditioning coordinator there. And so uh, I say, hey, what do we need? What's what's next on the agenda? So I want to keep things going for those kids and keep their nutrition going. That's the most important thing. you, know, you put so much of a demand on your body in that sport that uh, I'm going to try to do everything we can to keep those guys strong, healthy, and eating right.
0: This just came in moments ago from Nate. Pause. Lightfoot is not related to Gordon Lightfoot. His oh. parents were originally from La Mesa, Texas. Nice try, babe. From uh, from Nate.
1: Oh man.
6: I used used to like Nate. Now he just burst my bubble.
0: Oh, I know. But you know what? Better than. What would be worse, by the way? Keeping you hanging for weeks or months at a time? (laughs) Or at least finding out now so you don't have to think about it too much, right?
6: No, I I wanted that hope of going, gosh, I can't (laughs) wait. I wanted that three months of, you know, I don't know if he's coming early. I guess he couldn't be coming in early at this point. But uh, yeah, I wanted to see him in the summer training camp when I get out there in the summer training camp and say, hey, I ask you a question? And now nature's ruined it for me.
0: Oh, man. Right. Well, you know what would have been worse, though, if you would have asked the kid the question, he would have looked at you like you're from another planet because he has absolutely no idea well, who Gordon true. Lightfoot is. So, you know.
6: Actually, you know what's funny? My, my, my assumption is, because Lightfoot is an unusual name, mm-hmm. that more than one person has said to him. I remember we had uh, a, a lady named Betty Nguyen, um, Vietnamese woman who worked at our station at CBS 11. Loved her. But he was great. Well, when the Cowboys signed Datwin, when they drafted Datwin out of Texas A&M, everybody went up to Betty saying, oh, hey, are you related to Datwin? Well, Wynn in, in Vietnam is like Smith or Jones here. <laughs>
0: so,
1: <laughs>
6: she was not related. But everybody, hey, is that your cousin? Is that your this? Is that your that? But he's like, no, 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 we're not related. It's a very common Vietnamese name. <laughs>
0: mm. Awesome. Awesome. All right, final question, then we'll let you run. Uh, who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Give me your two teams. Wow,
6: you put it on me. I'll go, I'll go the two home teams just because they're playing at home. Although, man, Joe Burrow, that guy, he, he's pretty damn good. And obviously he got by Kansas City last year. A big part of it is going to be, you know, how, how is Mahomes' ankle? That's right. I mean, that's, that's going to be interesting to see. But, uh, you know, I guess I like the home teams, but could see obviously could see being a Cincinnati-San Francisco game. That's why I don't bet that's that's why i don't bet steve
0: well that makes like, that makes that makes two predict. of us that makes two of us babe so don't worry you're in the same
6: <laughs> I mean, you can never predict these things
0: no not at all no i was two and two last week but, so yeah it, it's it's for, rough
6: steve. oh you were two yeah. yeah here's what i hope for though i just hope for two good games two of those games that come down to the end and hey like we had last year with like buffalo kansas city in that divisional game or shoot even kansas city cincinnati in the afc championship game just give me one of those or, because I'll be hunkered down for about seven hours on Sunday. Trust me.
0: I love it. <laughs> babe, you're the best. Thanks for the time and appreciate okay. all the insight as always.
6: Yes, sir. Steve, thank you. Adrian, you have a good night, buddy. You too,
1: babe. Take care.
0: We need to get Babe in town for that basketball game with Joe Golding. We got to do that. that that's got to happen, right?
1: We can get him some good seats, too.
0: Yeah, I think we've got some pull. We could probably get Babe good tickets for that one. I, I think we'll be okay there. All right, 19 past. Sports Talk continues right after Charlie One in this traffic update. Seventy-three, sixty-seven. Xavier leading UConn, five twenty-five left to go. God, I wish I was at this game. It's fun watching. I wish I was there. It looks incredible. Tristan Newton's got eighteen. Sule Boom has nineteen. Just looks like such a battle. It really does. Totally, uh, you know, fans are into it. Both teams, just high level of basketball. There was, I guess, some kind of some kind of conference with the officials, and then the coaches ended up huddling with the officials, and at the very end, it looked like Sean Miller pushed Danny Hurley. It's like, wow, this looks good.
1: Yeah, this is like maybe a little rivalry uh, building over here. I mean, Sean Miller first year at Xavier, uh, Danny Hurley over there trying to get things going with UConn. I like this. These are some of the top dogs of the Big East as well.
0: By the way, they're playing this game um, at Gampel Pavilion, which holds 10,167 fans. And it's packed. And it looks like right now, UConn just with a steal and a slam. It's a one-point game. Tristan Newton with the tray. Oh, wow. It's, uh, the place is going crazy. And right now, uh, UConn's on a 7 nothing scoring run over the last minute and 15 seconds. But what I was trying to say is, this is top 15 basketball, and they're holding 10,000 fans. I will say it, and I will continue to say it, what they need to do at UTEP is renovate the Haskins Center, take it down to 8,000 fans, put in the this, the, the luxury boxes, the, the club access, whatever you want to do, make it, you know, um, give it a facelift, which it desperately needs, take the attendance down by two to 3,000, and just put all the bells and whistles in, and make it awesome, because that's the that's the mold that you need for these for these facilities. You don't need eleven or twelve anymore. Just reduce it to eight. Make it, and if they're good, it'll always be full to, to capacity. And um, and then the businesses and donors will have a chance to spend their money on the the, the higher end boxes.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really um, interesting thing. And, and you know what? Um, UConn has two home game places or places they play their home games. It's this one, the Gamble Pavilion, like you mentioned, 10,100. Uh, and then they have the XL Center, which fits 15,564. So I guess, I, I, and I wonder how they go through that. And I would wonder, uh, you know, similarly, look, this is a mid-major conference in the Big East. At the end of the day, it's still not a power five. I'd be interested to see if UTEP would ever like to do another site for other home games. But you probably have to do, instead of a, an upgraded arena with more seats, you would have to probably do less seats at that point. And when you look at uh, the Don Haskins Center, 11,892, it's actually the 58th largest in Division One basketball right now. Is it really? Yeah, it's 58th largest. And Division One basketball, we're talking
0: about over 300 teams. That's
1: right, exactly, yes. And uh, I'm curious, I'm, I'm doing quick uh, a quick search to see if it's the largest in Conference USA, but if it's not, I I'd, uh, think it would be probably among the top ones in CUSA.
0: It depends on where they, ca- where they count uh, UAB. And by the way, Sule's been turning the ball over the last couple times down the court. I think he just committed his uh, third turnover. In, in in the last couple of opportunities. So um yeah, it's a good game. Four point game right now. UConn trying to battle back to, to Xavier in the final few minutes of the game. Um I know because I, I know UA in Birmingham they've got the big arena, but Bartow is much smaller.
1: Yes, they're saying Bartow seats eighty five hundred. That's what uh this is saying over here that I'm looking at.
0: That's uh, what they needed, at UTEP right yeah. now. I'm telling you, it's too big. It's too big. I mean, for the FAU game, they had fifty-four hundred fans. Even if they had, a, even if it was seating eight thousand. That would be about 65% capacity. Instead, you're less than 50% capacity for the current configuration.
1: Uh, The Don Haskins Center is the largest capacity of any Conference USA teams. The second one is the Murphy Center, Mm -hmm. uh, Middle Tennessee, 11,520. So pretty similar in capacity to the Miners. And then the the, the closest one after that is North Texas, the Super Pit, 10500
0: But what else, you know, But here's the other issue. And I was always told for years that part of the problem is that when they built this thing back in 75 and 76, nowadays, in 2023, the loading area for, like, concerts and big things like that, it's not conducive to the big acts. So if they're going to make it smaller, maybe they can also completely redo the loading area and make it more modern to fit what it needs to do. Even if that means adding you know, a new top to it, I don't know how they would do it, but I'm just saying, just modernize the facility. I, and, and the sad part is this, okay? I grew up in that building. I started going to games when I was six. So to me, that's my home away from home when it comes to sporting events. Like I've spent more nights in the Haskins Center, the old special events center, than any other sporting facility in El Paso, okay? Any of them, and it's not even close. So when I go into that building, I think about my childhood. I think about my dad. I think about the crowds, the memorable games. That place has so much history and so many memories that every time I go in, I'm excited. No matter what the crowd's like, because it's a building that I know backwards and forwards. That being said, I still wish they'd renovate the place because um it's just you, bigger is not better in 2023. It's almost like make it smaller, bells and whistles, that's what people want rather than, you know, an 11,000 12,000 seat arena like we used to have uh growing up in the uh, in the 80s and 90s.
1: I think some might argue it's a conference. I, I'm not that person. I'm I'm the person with you and saying that they need to trim the capacity. But some might say it's conference USA. You look at the Mountain West and they have, uh, you know, teams like UNLV. The Thomas and Mack Center seats uh, 18,000. You look at the the Pit. Uh, that's fifteen thousand four hundred. That's a lot of uh, you know fans that they get to bring in Fresno State. The Save Mart Center fifteen thousand five hundred ninety six. So they fill those seats. They get a lot of attention during those those programs and you know what Uh, Mountain West
0: fans they really support their hoops they do they do and if UTEP got back into the Mountain West I think that would help a little bit but guess what BYU's gone Utah's gone you know San Diego State could be gone um, depending on what happens with the Pac-12 so the truth is that if UTEP ever gets back to the Mountain West the Mountain West might not resemble the old whack anymore, and then you got a few schools left, but a lot of schools that don't necessarily translate to new fans.
1: Right, you're talking about the Colorado States, the Wyoming's of the world, yes, and, and probably losing the likes of Boise State, like you mentioned SDSU, and maybe even Nevada, um, if if you're talking about it at that level.
0: Bottom of the hour, we've got one last Sports Center update: five zero five six zero zero nine. As we send it back to Adrian with the latest. Well, UConn's got a chance now, Adrian, to take the lead as we approach two minutes left to go. And uh, they failed to do it, uh, but there was some contact down underneath. We'll see what happens. Great, great game. Great game.
1: I love these college basketball matchups like this. It, it doesn't matter if uh, Xavier had a 13-point lead, 15-point lead. These games are going to go down to the wire when it's uh, when it's all said and done in close yep. game situations.
0: That's true. Um, Esteban just tweeted the show, the Don Haskins Center is not just for basketball. He's right. Concerts, other venues, graduations, things like that. You know what's an interesting note, though? This is interesting. Concert promoters love the the Haskins Center the way it is right now. You want to know why? If they eventually do put in suites and luxury boxes, concerts don't get that money. That's, that's UTEP's money. So if they ever do that and they build the uh, high-dollar uh, value uh, different things, they're the ones that are going to see the revenue. Just like Motley Crue coming in right now with Def Leppard and uh, Alice Cooper later this year. If you want to go sit in those suites and luxury boxes – That's not promoter money. That's UTEP money. They're keeping it.
1: That's interesting. I and I didn't know that. But um, money distribution wise, uh, yeah. If you're a concert promoter, you're trying to make a pit stop in El Paso so you can cash out and get some good money. Uh, Another thing with this, whenever they seem to have a big concert um, come to the Haskins Center, they're usually closing off that uh, that entrance area. I I believe it's like the what is it? The south end of the Mm -hmm. uh, the Haskins Center. They usually uh, close off that whole street area. So your point to your point earlier about closing up, maybe like changing up. So uh, concerts can come in and out e- more easily. I'd love to uh, see that. Yeah, that'd be a, a real beneficial thing.
0: Thirty-five past the sports talk continues. Here's Fernie joining us next on the lines five zero five six zero zero nine our telephone number. Hey Fernie, what's going on?
1: Yeah,
5: see, hey, see, you guys, you guys bring up a good point. I mean, well, you did about you know chopping down the the Haskins because I mean, obviously we can't fill it.
0: That's exactly.
5: Right? And then you know make it. You know, because I've been to so many multiple events there, aside from the games, that maybe, really, I mean, because obviously the, the arena got shut down. So maybe they could accommodate it like that and, you know, eventually, I guess, lessen them, whoever goes to the games, you know, and, and uh, the, you know, bring in better concerts or something just to chop up the, you know, the, I mean the the Haskins and stuff. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's just you have a point.
0: Well, I I just know that nowadays nobody's building them big anymore. I mean, outside of NFL stadiums, I mean, think about what you get. Baseball stadiums are all smaller than they used to be. You know, basketball arenas. They just they're all the same. They're they're you know they just they're beautiful because they have everything you need. But bigger is not necessarily better these days. And one thing we've seen yeah, about, you yeah, know, at UTEP, so now they haven't yeah, been... Right. Go ahead, Fernie. Go ahead.
5: You're right, Steve. You're right, Steve. I mean, if they chop it up a little bit to bring in better... Act, I mean, for the concert purposes, for the basketball purposes, I mean, you jack up the the prices up a little bit, man, for the game tickets and make it a little bit more... I mean, a little bit more special to go to the games and stuff. Yep. And you'll always have a, a very... I mean, that was there. What was it? A uh, Saturday, you know, for the the game there and stuff. And I mean, it, it just it was just so isolated the the crowd and stuff. And
0: well, I mean, listen, we're, listen we're just to, just to this, bringing, Fernie.
5: We're just not bringing the fans,
0: Fernie. Know? I got to tell you something. Here's the crazy thing, okay? Right now, UTEP's leading Conference USA in home attendance, okay? Yes. And U- they are. Wow. UTEP is averaging. They are averaging. Forty seven hundred fans per home game. Okay? Yeah. Forty seven hundred fans per home game. The nearest uh uh number two is Western Kentucky at four thousand fans. Everybody else is three thousand or less, like thirty seven hundred or less. So that's an interesting stat to begin with. So UTEP is number one. Now, if UTEP was in the Mountain West, they would be Come seventh on, right now. Seventh for now.
5: We have not but Steve. You know what? Even if we went in Mountain West, the biggest games would probably be, you know, New Mexico. Yep. I mean, maybe we, I mean, you know, UNLV or right. whatever. But for the most part, we're we're not bringing in the fans. It's just disappointing. But I mean, now I'm there. I got season tickets, and I try, you know. But I mean, for the most part, we're not we're not bringing in the fans. And like you said, BYU's gone, Utah's gone. So what would you have? You know, what? What do you got? Colorado State. You know, Wyoming, no. The only big game would be UNM. You know, and m You know, that correlates down to football, too.
0: That's so, true. I mean, it's,
5: it's a difficult question, situation, whatever you're talking about. But uh, hopefully, you know.
1: Talk to you later, Steve.
0: I appreciate you, Fernie. But it is interesting to look at the numbers. San Diego State's averaging 12,000 fans a home game. New Mexico's at 10-8. Boise State's 8,600. Utah State, 7,000. Nevada, 5,700. UNLV, 5,400. Then Colorado State's at 4,448. So UTEP would be ahead of Colorado State. They'd be ahead of Fresno. They'd be ahead of Wyoming, ahead of San Jose State, head of Air Force. That's um, really interesting. Wow. It is. Wow. And, and yet, you know, in Conference USA, they are leading the league. At forty seven hundred fans per home game, which is, again, it's just it's it's crazy to me. It really is. Um, Fau has a terrific basketball team. They're averaging seventeen hundred fans a game, almost eighteen hundred fans.
1: Man, that's so bad. It's is, terrible. Is there any fans out there for Fau? Can they like give tickets for free so people show up for a ranked team?
0: Nationally ranked, uh, 1,797 fans per home
1: game. Oh my gosh, that's horrible.
0: UAB thirty five seventy one per home game. North Texas 3396. It's pathetic.
1: Those are the top three teams in the conference, and they can't draw over three thousand. I mean no. like four thousand plus. Like that's embarrassing.
0: It is. It really is. Jump ball with nine seconds left. And Sule Boom just got uh, you know, grabbed a rebound, hit the deck, three-point lead for Xavier as Tristan Newton. Um, tried to draw UConn within one, missed the drive to the bucket, and as a result of the jump ball, I believe it will be. Um, I think it's UConn ball, but I got to double check that. Or uh, yeah, with uh, with nine seconds left to go.
1: Hey, uh, real quick on this, Sule turned uh, Tristan Newton over on back to back possessions here.
0: Did he really?
1: Yes. So good uh, lockdown defense by Sule late wow. in this game.
0: Really interesting. Hey, final countdown coming up. 19 in front of 7. Stay with us, folks. We'll uh, wrap it up next. 600 ESPN El Paso.